Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. You know, uh, folks, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think I tell you every book's my favorite book, but Samuel's one of those favorite books for me because the Bible to me is an amazing book. People who talk against it, I often think that they don't read it. They have never read it, so they, they make statements about it that they don't even know what they're talking about. I mean, where would you have a book where if you're going to tell the history of something, you tell all the stupid things that they've done and all the dumb mistakes they make? I mean, if you're going to talk about a king, I mean, in our PR culture, you're always going to talk about how wonderful they are, right? Well, in, in, in this book that we're going to be looking at, you're going to look at how dumb they were and the stupid mistakes and the devastation that's, that came from their mistakes. And, and there's a reason why God did that. God did that so you and I could learn lessons from it. And that's especially going to be true today. There's a powerful lesson for us in chapter 4. We're just going to look at the first 11 verses today. We're going to look at how the people of Israel had some really wrong assumptions about God. They had a misunderstanding of who God was and how he worked, and they tried to act on that. And then the result was devastation. Result was, well, the, the, the word is, the glory has departed at the end of the chapter. And you know what? It's the same thing is true. You know, I've, you know, I've been here, <laughs> next week I'll be here officially 18 years. And I'm totally amazed at people and how they'll walk away from God and the church. And how they'll get angry with God and the church. And, and they'll blame it on God. You ever met somebody who blames things on God? You ever met somebody like that? That blames stuff. God didn't do this for me. God, you know, he, you know. And, and really, when you get down to the root issue, it isn't God. The issue was, they're thinking about God. They had wrong assumptions about how God was supposed to be. In fact, a lot of the assumptions they had, let's just go ahead and say it, didn't even come from the Bible. It came from something they picked up in church because, to be honest with you, we're, we live in a culture, a Christian culture, that lives by cliches more than by God's Word. So then, because they live by cliches, well, when it, doesn't go the way that it was supposed to go, the way they were told by other Christians, then they get upset with God. God didn't come through for me. God, and so they leave. And they're angry with God. And some of them are really angry with God and want nothing to do with him. And they want nothing to do with the church. And we're going to see that take place today, and we're going to learn some lessons from it, okay? We're going to learn some lessons from it. But a couple things I want to just kind of point out to you about this disappointment that people have, okay? Here's a couple things. Here's the first one. Believers are marked by an overwhelming ignorance of God and his ways. Believers are marked by an overwhelming ignorance of God and his ways. I'll be the first one to admit that. Even though I've been studying God's word for all of my Christian life, I'll, I'll just be honest with you. I, I know less about God today than I did before. And, and, and I've realized that some of the ways that I have operated have been on, on assumptions 
more than anything, more than knowing about who God is and what his what he really wants from me. And I think that's true for a lot of us because the, the fact of the matter is, is I, I mean, I just, I think it's interesting. About 80% of Americans own a Bible, which isn't that surprising to you? That's surprising to me. 80% of Americans own a Bible. That does not include how many people have the Bible app on their phone. But then the other thing is, is how many of them read it? Well, it isn't 80%. And, and I would be shocked to say how many of them read it who go to church. Do, 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 do you know what I'm saying? Who, who even go to church. And the point is that we, in our Christian lives, operate more by what we hear others say or what some preacher said to you or what I said to you than what we read ourselves or what God spoke to us about. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? So a direct result, here's the second thing, a direct result of Biblical ignorance, and that's what it's called, biblical ignorance, is disappointment with God and defection. A direct result of biblical ignorance is disappointment with God and defection. Now, what do you mean by defection? Well, first of all, disappointment with God. So you've got a couple of levels of people here, okay? And I've, I've seen them in church as well. First of all, you've got the folks who, you know, they trusted in God, they were hoping for better, and God didn't come through, so they're disappointed. So they come to church and they're disappointed and they're defeated. But they come to church because they feel that that's what they need to do. They come to church. Well, then you've got another group of people who used to come to church, who believed in God, trusted in God, operated on some wrong assumptions. God didn't come through to them. And they became disappointed, but they decided, I've had enough. It's all just the fake thing. It's all just forget about it. It's not real. And they're gone. That's defection. They left. They went AWOL. And all of us know people who went AWOL, right? I mean, you can think back in your life, people that you used to know that came to, went to some of the many churches. I mean, here in Kerwinsville, you, you may not be aware, we got 10 churches in Kerwinsville. Do you realize that? We got 10. I can't even, somebody asked me about Clearfield. I have no clue what goes on in Clearfield. I just know what goes on in this town. And there's 10 here. And you meet a lot of people and say, well, I used to go over here and I used to go over here. I even went to yours, you know. And, and then you say, well, why aren't you there anymore? And they're like, well, well. And, and the next thing is what God didn't do for them. Defection. And if you get down to the heart of what was going on, they, they operated on an assumption about God and how he worked and what the church should be like. That was wrong. That was wrong. I mean, I'll be honest with you, God. God's being blamed for a lot of wrong things. Because some of this stuff we assume about him, he doesn't say. He doesn't give you that assumption. In fact, like here's, here's how it starts. It starts off when people come to Jesus. You ever told somebody, well, if you come to Jesus, everything will be wonderful. Ever, ever heard somebody say that? If you come to Jesus, you just pray that prayer, then everything will be okay. What a lie! You forgot to tell them that now they got a big bullseye painted on their chest because the enemy will be after them. And that things don't necessarily go right. And that God doesn't promise to take away your problems. In fact, he warns you, you're going to have problems. But we give this wrong, false assumption. That's the struggle that the people of Israel had. That's where we come to chapter 4. So I want you to notice with me, let's look at verses 1 to 11. Verse 1, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. 
and encamped beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines camped in Aphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel, and when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. When the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Did you catch that? I'll say it again. When the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, that it may save us from the hand of our enemies. And so the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who dwells between the cherubim, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us, who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians and all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become the servants of the Hebrews as they had been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and everyone fled to his tent. And there was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. And the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas died. Wow. Made a great story here. If you just read that, kind of brush on through and continue on, like what happens to the ark. But actually, we want to go back, because there is so much here in these 11 verses that are going to teach us something today. And what it's going to teach us is, is that for a lot of us, we operate with an authoritative ignorance. What do you mean authoritative ignorance? Well, let me explain what I mean by that. Oftentimes, our views of God are nothing but the basis of which come from our ignorance. And because of that ignorance and the values that we develop from them because of what we think of our God, they become the authority in our lives about how things should be. That's what was happening here with these folks. And so I want to point out some things to you today from this passage. Hopefully we can learn a lesson, okay? Here's the first thing I want you to see. First of all, when you read verses 1 to 2, They've got the Philistines coming against them, so Israel gathers to meet the Philistines to deal with this threat of an enemy. So here's the first point. They tried to handle the difficulty in their own strength. They tried to handle the difficulty in their own strength. Now, it's interesting, when you read verses 1 to 2, here's what you're not going to find in verses 1 to 2. You'll find it in other passages. You'll find where they go and consult God. God, what are we going to do? We've got this enemy coming against us. What are we going to do? You don't see that in verses 1 to 2. 1 to 2 is just a reaction. Somebody's coming against me. I'm going to go meet them. I'm going to do what I've got to do. 
no interaction whatsoever with God. They're going to handle it on their what? Own. Going to handle it on their own. That's what they're doing here. We're going to go meet the threat. We're going to handle it on our own. Isn't that how we operate? That's how we operate with 90% of our lives, right? Got a problem? First thing I'm going to do is what? Try to solve my problem. Try to deal with my problem. If my efforts don't go well, what am I going to do? I'm going to pick up the phone and call 10 friends and ask my 10 friends their opinion about what I need to do with my problem. Then try their way. When that doesn't work, I'm going to do what? Well, here's the next point. Here's what they do. Look with me. I, I, I mentioned it twice. Look at verse 3. Why has the Lord defeated us today? Natural reaction. This is what we see happening in our lives. You do it. I do it. Here's the point. When they fail to do it themselves, they blame God for abandoning them. Did you get that? When they fail to do it for themselves, it's not my fault. God, you abandoned me. <laughs> I'd like to say, I'd like to say that I haven't done this. But I'm going to be honest with you. I am shocked by how many times I do. I'm human. We try it on our own. And what? Failure. And guess who we blame? God, you abandoned me. But what do we do? We, we, we do this right here. We operate on a wrong assumption. And when it doesn't go our way, we blame God. Because what's the assumption? God helps those who help themselves, right? It's not in the Bible. Actually, it's not true. Here's the second thing I want you to see. So guess what they decide to do? They figured out, oh, we left God out of the equation. Isn't that smart? Isn't that what happens? You try it on your own, it doesn't. You make a bigger mess of it. And, and so now you figure it out that you left God out of the equation. So we've got to bring God into the equation. So I want you to see what happens here. We see it in verses 3 to 5. They, they engage in religious activity in order to see God overcome the difficulty. So now we're, we're going to do the God thing. All right, we're going to do, we're going to bring God into it. We're going to, we're going to go and tell the priests in Shiloh, that's where the Ark of the Covenant was, the tabernacle was. We're going to tell them to bring the Ark down because when, because we know the stories about how the Ark was there when they overtook Jericho and about the, how the Ark was there when they took the land. And so if we bring the Ark, God's going to be here and the Ark's going to fight for us. Now, notice something you can see right in the text. They got some wrong assumptions going on here. They assume the activity and even the object is going to do it for them. When the reality was, it wasn't the ark that was the thing that gave them victory before. It was God. It was God who the ark represented. Did you understand what I'm saying? And, and we do the same thing. We do the same thing. We think our religious activity, if I just do the religious activity, then God will overcome the difficulty. I cannot tell you the number of people that I see will show up for church because they're all of a sudden going through a problem and then they show up for church. And they'll come for church for a little bit as they're waiting for God to solve their problem. And then a lot of times, here's what happens. When God doesn't solve their problems, they disappear and they're angry. They're angry. Or when the problem is solved, well, I've done that, then they disappear. Well, why don't we see you anymore? Well, you know, do you know what I'm saying? 
They engaged in religious activity in order to see God overcome the difficulty. And, and, and here's what happens. The problem is, is, the problem is, is that they do not have a proper understanding of God. They don't have a proper understanding of God. I dare say that a lot of times why we, we struggle the way that we do is because we have these wrong assumptions about who God is. And so we're in the midst of the problem, we're in the midst of the crisis, and we think, oh God, you're going to do it this way because it's a wrong assumption. And when he doesn't, we get defeated. We get destroyed. We go through a crisis of faith. And the problem wasn't God, it was us. Because somewhere along the line, we got this wrong concept. We got this wrong concept. So the problem is, is that they did not have a proper understanding of God. You and I have to start knowing who he is. Now we're going to talk about that later. How do you do that? We'll talk about that later. But here's what you're going to see happen in verse 11. So they do this. They bring the Ark of the Covenant in. And notice, it's not just a few elders who've got this wrong thinking. It's the whole group of them. So they bring in the Ark of the Covenant and all of the Israelite men give out a great shout. They're all excited. God's there among them. In fact, it's so loud that the Philistines who are across the valley can hear them and say, why is this great noise going on among the Israelites? And they say, God has showed up. And you can see, first of all, the Philistines have no concept of that. and They refer to God as gods, plural, but they know that they're the Israeli gods, but it's God, can do something mighty, but yet they're saying, okay, we got to do what we got to do, because we don't want to be their servants. And it doesn't go well. Even though they've brought the Ark of the Covenant, even though they're doing all the religious thing, it doesn't go well. And now 30,000 of them are dead. So here's the point. Religious activity and sincere thinking does not mean God will work. I'm going to say it again because it is so important. Religious activity and sincere thinking does not mean that God will work. Do you hear me? I want you to, if you're writing that down, if you wrote that down, fill that in on your little bulletin there. I want you to put a star by that. I want you to put, I want you to underline it. I want you to circle it, whatever. I need you to grasp that point. God does not work and do things in your life because you sincerely hold some wrong beliefs about him. That doesn't, he doesn't work that way, number one. Number two, God doesn't work because you gave something in the offering plate. I don't care what that preacher told you on TV. God doesn't work because you gave something here, okay? God doesn't work because you, you show up every time the doors open. Isn't it amazing if you sit back and think there are people who don't go to church who are blessed by God and the people who go to church all the time, some of them are struggling in other areas? God doesn't work that way. That's why. That, that, that principle doesn't mean anything. God doesn't work because of your religious activity, my religious activity. He doesn't work because of your sincerely held beliefs about wrong assumptions. God works because, here's the point, he loves you. And you're his child, and he's always going to do what's best for you. And sometimes when you go through it, he maybe lets you go through the struggle because he knows that that's best for you, not just getting you out of the problem. Do you understand? It's like a parent. He's our heavenly father. 
He doesn't act because we just do the right stuff and even have sincerely held beliefs. He acts because he loves us and cares for us and he's molding us into something. Do you understand? But see, these folks, these Israelites, they had this concept. If they did this, then God would show up and do his thing. Well, he didn't. Because that's not how he works. And if they understood that, they would have known that. But here's what happens. If you look at verse 11, if you actually get to the end of the chapter, you see uh, Eli finds out that the ark is taken. He falls over, breaks his neck, he dies. One of the sons of Eli, his, his wife, has a child, and she dies in childbirth, but the child is named Ichabod, meaning the glory has departed. Names were given back then to reflect what was going on at the time. And so the glory has departed. What do you mean the glory? The glory of God has departed. God has abandoned Israel. So here's, here's the point I want you to see. They become more entrenched in the idea that God has abandoned them. Do you see the pattern here? Do it myself. Didn't work out. God, you abandoned me. Okay, it's because I didn't do enough religious activity. Oh, so we do the religious activity. And we're all excited because now that we're doing the religious stuff, God should do it. God doesn't do it. Guess what? They're even more entrenched now. God doesn't care for them. God's abandoned them. I don't want to have anything to do with God anymore. Listen to me. What did Jesus say? Did he not say to you, I will never leave you nor forsake you? When you read that passage, there isn't a footnote there that says everything but these issues in your life. He hasn't left you. He hasn't. Just because you're still going through the problem doesn't mean he's left you. It may mean that he's wanting to use that problem in your life for a purpose. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul found out? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan that buffeted me. I asked God three times to take it from me, it says. But what does God say? My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your what? Weakness. Wrong assumptions. We're operating on wrong assumptions. So you say, okay, George, what do we do about it? Well, let me give you a couple of thoughts here. First of all, I need you to think about this, okay? It's time to let go of your anger towards God. It's time to let go of your anger towards God. What do you mean? What, is, what, what do you mean, anger towards God, George? What do you mean? What are you talking about? I mean, we're talking about wrong assumptions and abandoning them. Yeah, I'm talking about anger towards God because some of you are angry at God because he didn't do something sometime because you did something and God didn't fulfill what you thought was a promise and so you're angry at God. It's time to let go of it. In fact, I'll be honest with you, man, when I study for these messages, I'm not just bringing them to you. Sometimes they're for me. So like yesterday, Lori and I are talking about something, and I haven't even told her this, but she made a statement that just slapped me right in the face. And it wasn't that she was doing it, saying, making a statement against towards me. It's just that something she said I immediately, in my heart, reacted against, and it wasn't towards her, it was a reaction towards God. Oh, yeah, sure, God, we haven't seen that. And so yesterday, I was pruning the pear trees, and I'm sitting there clipping, clipping, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, and here's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about what she said about my reaction, 
And I'm finally, as I'm clipping, I'm clipping, I'm clipping, I'm thinking about, man, I'm, I'm angry at you, God. I didn't want to admit that. I want to act like it's not there, but I'm angry at you. Because I quote, we were doing this and you didn't do this. And so I'm sorry, I'm wrong. Because I made some wrong assumptions. I was operating on wrong assumptions because I know for the fact that you didn't promise me anything. When you called me to yourself and in 1986 when I was sitting in that service and you said to me, I want you to do this and I want you to be a preacher, you didn't promise me anything at that point. You didn't promise me nothing. You just said, I want you to serve me. Here's the thing. It's time to let go of your anger towards God. You need to sit there and examine your heart. Where are you angry towards him? Because he, quote, disappointed you. And if you have to, get along with him somewhere and say to him, am I angry with you, Lord? Oh, by the way, it'll come out. The Holy Spirit will bring up the issue and you're like, oh, yep, yeah, I'm angry. It'll be something as simple as somebody saying something and you'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm angry. You gotta let go of it. Because if you don't let go of it, listen to me, if you don't let go of it, you're going to continue to be disappointed because you're going to continue to operate by these wrong assumptions. Did you understand me? You're going to continue to operate and you're going to continue to be defeated by them until finally one day you say, I'm done. I'm done. Here's the second thing. This is so important. Here's how you overcome it. Here's how you overcome this issue of operating by wrong assumptions and having a wrong concept of God and his ways. Here's what you do. You spend time learning who God is and obeying his revealed word to you. That's how you overcome it. This is not something to take up space on a bookshelf or an end table in your room. This is not something that you have so that you can tell others, well, I have a Bible and it's a New King James or an NIV or an ESV or I use the King James. It's not something that you have just to, to say that you have a Bible. That, and, and it's not something that you say, well, I stand on the Bible. How many times have we heard messages? I've heard numerous messages about why I need to stand on the Bible. Folks, I don't need to stand on the Bible. I need to read the Bible. And let it become a part of my life and let me be introduced to God and know about his grace in my life and how he operates. That's why we're going through 1 Samuel to learn the lessons ourselves. you got to spend time learning who he is and obeying what he shows you. And I'm going to be honest with you folks, it may not happen the first time or the third time or the 20th time you read, but some point along the road when you start reading it and if you're listening to him, his spirit is going to speak to you and say to you, yeah, this is what you need to pay attention to here. You're doing the same thing they did. Or this is where you need to be encouraged this is what you need to hold on to while you're going through what you're going through. The Spirit will speak to you. That, my friends, is far more fabulous than you can realize. But that's how we overcome it. 
Because here's the scoop, folks. We all got the problem. What's the problem? We're operating on wrong assumptions. It's time for us to stop, isn't it? Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.